Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The text for this evening is from the Gospel according to St. John, the first chapter. But dear friends in Christ, tattoo parlors need a sign, I think, above their entrance that reads, Think before you ink. Because they should place a recording in the background that is constantly repeating to people, do you really want the name of that girl who very clearly is going to be your ex-girlfriend here in a couple minutes on your shoulder for eternity? Tattoo removal has become a very big business. More and more tattoo-bearing people experience what is called tattoo regret syndrome. It's a real thing. According to a 2018 Harris Poll survey, the number of Americans with tattoos and those considering tattoo removal is on the rise. And of course, we know that it's not cheap to have something beautiful painted onto your skin with ink. That is expensive. But if you think that's it, once you start to regret it, to remove a single tattoo can take up to 12 sessions spaced over the course of two years, and each treatment costs between $100 and $400. So think before you ink. If our regrets showed up as tattoos, how marked up would we be? What picture would we see in the mirror when we looked at ourselves? The the face of someone that we hurt on our arm? The amount of money we wasted on our backs? All the couldas and shouldas and wouldas on our calves? Could have been a better dad. Could have been paying closer attention. Could have been a better student. Could have been a better grandparent. Dig around in the basement of your life and what do you find? Wasted years. Obsessive greed. Destructive diversions. Anger. Arrogance. Selfishness. What, what do we do with our unwanted marks? And we can be defensive. When we're defensive, we don't admit anything is our fault. We we tell no one. We keep the skeleton locked up safely in the closet. We seek innocence. We don't seek forgiveness. When we're defensive, we reduce life to one goal. Hide the secret. Cover it up. Don't address it. Don't admit it. And whatever we do, never, ever, Confess that you were wrong. When we see the marks of regrets, another option is certainly to be defeated. When, we're, when we are defeated, we feel like, well, we don't make mistakes. We are the mistake. We didn't foul up. We are a foul up. We beat ourselves up repeatedly with blame and, and shame. We take the role of judge and jury and, and accusing attorney, too. The verdict is guilty forever. Defensive people hide marks. Defeated people replay marks. Of course, the question comes, is there a better way to deal with these things? Of course. We all are delivered of our ugly marks. We begin Lent today, this Ash Wednesday. And so today also begins a sermon series, and really it guides all the services that we're going to do during midweek. It's called Witnesses to Christ. And the first person we heard from him tonight to help us follow Christ to the cross is John. 
John the Baptist. Now, what does John the Baptist say when we are defensive about our sin or that we are defeated by our sin? He looks at you and cries out from the pages of Scripture, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, when it comes to all of our ugly marks of sin by Jesus, we are delivered. That word behold is always interesting. It it literally means see. The verb can be translated look, gaze, stare, take note. Behold means here's the whole point of what I'm saying. And John says it, and he says it again later on. He says, behold, this is the object of faith, Jesus John says this. I mean, we, we, we give this to him all the time, and it's lovely. I think it's wonderful. Behold the Lamb of God. We all should have these words imprinted on us, a mark greater than sin. Because when we see what John is saying, we understand that this Jesus isn't an ordinary Lamb of God. This is the Passover Lamb of God. Now, John, the gospel writer, not the baptizer, He uses this word Passover 11 times in his gospel. 11 times. The entire structure of what he wrote down is to help us behold, to see, to gaze, and, and take note of Christ, the Passover lamb, and to see that he is the whole point of everything we do and say. Now, Exodus 12 tells us that the Passover lamb is a male lamb, Perfect, spotless, without defect. Goes on to say that the Israelites are to place the Passover lamb's blood on the sides and tops of their door frames, and that blood would set the Israelites free, free from bricks and free from whips and free from Pharaoh. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away. Oh, take away is in that present tense, right? You considered that before? Not he will take away, not that he has taken away, but present. Meaning what? Meaning that Christ is taking away your sins and he is still doing it even today. Today, he takes away. Tomorrow, he takes away. Next week, he takes away. And what does he take away? He takes away the sin of the world. And that includes your sin. It's not, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world except for you. The whole world. And that is our sin. Our ugly sin. Our shameful sin. Our hurtful sin. Our every single sin. He takes it all away. And Christ not only takes away our sin, He takes away the guilt of the sin that's done by us. He takes away the shame of the sin that's done to us. Guilt is what we feel when we've done something wrong, and shame is what we feel when someone has wronged us. We all know what public shame feels like, right? You might be branded by a divorce or marked by a certain handicap, or maybe you were saddled with alcoholic parents, or you were crushed because your child did the wrong thing and got arrested. Maybe you feel stigmatized because you lost your job or you lost a spouse lost your home, you lost your life's savings, and and now everyone knows and they're looking at you. 
There's also private shame. We've all felt that too. Maybe we've been pushed to the edge by an abusive spouse. Could be that we were molested by a perverted parent or friend. Could be that we were seduced by some of our superiors or or teased even without mercy by other kids. No one knows, but we know. And that alone is enough to bury us in shame. We put our hands over our ears, we splash water on our face, we go for a long drive, and we find that nothing seems to take away our shame. Nothing takes away our guilt. Sin has marked us, and that's it. End of story. Right? No. No. We don't drink our sin away. We don't work our sin away. We don't explain our sin away. We don't eat our sin away. We don't cry our sin away. We don't bury our sin away. We cry out, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, my sin. Sometimes that's hard to believe. Most of us have carried ugly marks for so long we can't imagine life without them. Maybe we can't imagine it, but God can. God does. And God does more than just imagine it. He sends John the baptizer who says, Behold, look, see, gaze, take note, look at the whole point of what I'm saying. This is the Lamb of God who takes away your sin, who takes away your shame, who takes away your guilt. And the Passover Lamb does it perfectly for all people, for the whole world. The Passover Lamb does it for you. And so... We pray because we we know who this Lamb of God is. We pray, Jesus, take it away. Tell Jesus what you did. Tell Jesus what you saw. Tell Jesus what you took. Tell Jesus how you feel. Tell Jesus what you thought. Tell Jesus what has been done to you. Pray as often as you need it. One time, two times, ten times a day, as often as you want. Hold nothing back before your Lord. No guilt is too ancient or too recent. No shame is too evil or too insignificant. No marks are so malicious that they can't be completely removed. Jesus, take it all away. Now we're tempted to say, Jesus, take it all away. I'm such a louse. That doesn't work. You see, you're not a louse, you're not a fool. You're not horrible. You're not awful. You're not deserving of death. You might be uh, theologically, but the way that God sees you through the eyes of Christ, you're God's baptized children, and he loves you. Marks of shame and sin and guilt and all these things are removed only when they're exposed to grace. What do you need grace for? Being a bad person? (laughs) It's a little too general, right? For losing your patience at a meeting and calling your coworker that really bad name that you don't say in public? You can confess that. Confession isn't punishment for sin. Confession names sin so that it can be exposed to God's amazing grace. And his grace 
is like that little thing, that little laser that takes away the tattoos on people's skin. That grace of God is what takes away your sin from you. And it's not expensive. It's free. It's free. Be firm with God in prayer. Luther once said, if he gets to heaven and he finds God turning him away from the gates, saying, well, you weren't enough or you didn't do good enough, Luther says, if this is you, you grab God by the scruff of his neck and you choke him until he's close to passing out and you, sh- you shout at him, you promised and I believe you. With that same fervor, be firm with God in your prayer. You see, Satan traffics in guilt and shame. He's not going to give up without a fight. So you say to God, this is what I confess, and your grace is taking it away. And then you look at Satan, and you say, I left my sin with the Passover Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. What are you going to do to me? It's time for a clean start, a fresh slate, a new beginning, not another try. Because we know that if we're trying, it's not going to work. But a new start with God, trusting that he will do what he's promised you. See, that's what Lent is actually all about. You don't need to be defensive. You don't need to be defeated. Today, you are delivered. And you know that you're delivered by looking at God's marks. Yeah. We think that we've got marks. The Lord bears the marks of his crucifixion, even into his resurrection and ascension. The marks on Jesus tell you that your marks have been taken away. I mean, he even cries out to Thomas, Behold, put your hand in my side. See where I have been crucified. He says the same thing to you. He says, I have the marks of your sin on me so that you bear them no longer. Isaiah tells us that God says to you, I have you engraved on the palms of my hands. Can you imagine that? That in the very marks of the nails as they went into his hands, Jesus has your name written there that he might look at his hands and see you all the time. Your name is written on those blood-stained hands. Jesus loves you that much. If you have ever wondered how God reacts when guilt and shame have you cornered and you're ready to, to be swallowed up whole, If you've ever wondered how God feels when you're lost or abandoned or helpless. If you've ever wondered what God would do if he found out about all those secret sins. Then frame those words and hang them on your wall at home. Get out a paintbrush. Get out a crayon. Get out a pencil or pen. Get out any kind of chisel and carve it into the home. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. My sin. Trust those words. Believe those words. Stand firm in those words. And trust that Jesus is taking all of your sin away. Jesus took on the nails. Jesus takes away your sin and shame. And he hung there upon that tree for you. 
And Jesus still says to you today, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. In the end, in the end, those are the only marks that ever are going to matter. Those marks that are on Christ's hands are not going to be erased so that you know your marks have been taken from you and have been put upon Jesus. In his holy name, amen. Now may the peace of God, which passes all human understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.